Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.55 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 25th, Thursday of February 2021, and this is episode 373 of Bitcoin. And I have a special guest who's going to describe exactly how to be stupid. The geeks who've been involved in the cryptos just don't understand money very, very well or the history of money. What you should do is establish a private currency board that would issue a liability, and that issue would be a currency. And, and that currency board currency would be backed 100% with some anchor asset, and that anchor asset could be another currency like the U.S. dollar. Mr. Hankey, everybody, give him a round of applause. He stepped out of South Park just to come and tell us how to do all the things that you do when you really want to stay in the past, not, not bravely go off into the future, you know, not, not bravely step into some kind of brave new world. And no, I don't mean that in a, in a metaphorical sense of doom and gloom, like the book, uh, 1984 and brave new world and all that dystopian bullshit. I mean, an actual brave new world. So, if you listened really close to what he said, it's a, first of all, it's, it's circular. And honestly, what it really reminds me of is the state of DeFi right now, where I issue a liability so that I can yield farm YAM tokens, which I can then, I don't know, ask the governance board if we can issue another liability on top of the yield farm to YAM's yield. And maybe, I don't know, go fishing for fucking sushi. No, really, that's all that the, the guy was saying. I mean, it beyond the, in, the incredible nature of his misunderstanding of not only his own past, but a complete misunderstanding of the completely different mindset that we're dealing with. And we're going to have to deal with Mr. Hankey, Steve Hankey, by the way, who's a teacher, a, a, prof- a full bird <clears throat> uh, economics professor at none other than Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, one of the finest institutions, quotes, I've, I've got quotes up there, in the history of fine institutions. And this is what he's teaching the kids to stay in the past, to issue things that are liabilities. This is going to be a battle folks, because these people have a good 10 years left of life, you know, in them before they either retire or just pass on. And I know that's kind of sad and it's kind of cruel to say, but 
without the dinosaurs leaving the planet, the smaller mammals weren't going to be able to, you know, do their thing. It, it was just not, it was just not going to happen. <clears throat> dinosaurs have to go through an extinction level event. And in this particular case, it's simply just waiting them out because they're, they're unable to transition to any other way of thinking. And thank God, I mean, I'm old enough that I could be trapped there. And undoubtedly, guys, a lot of my friends are trapped there. You know, my, my cohort is, is still trapped in this, this circular thinking of, but it's not backed by anything, or, oh, no intrinsic value, or you've got to have a government, you know, some kind of council to allow shit to happen. No, actually, you really don't. <clears throat> you really don't need that. Will there be a, a fair bit of chaos involved? Well, honey, there's a fair bit of chaos involved in just living life. You know, the woman that dies on the table giving childbirth is a chaotic moment. And it's sad and it's crippling. And it's uh, honestly just one of the worst things that you can possibly even think of. But it happens. right? And there's nothing you can do about it. You can try to help. You can try to make medicine better. You can try to make that kind of childbirth trauma easier. And it's a good thing to, to endeavor to do. But to think you're going to wipe it out. No, you're not going to wipe it out. Shit's going to happen. I could walk across the street and get hit by a bus. That's a chaotic moment, right? You can't stop chaos. Chaos is a great teacher, by the way. <clears throat> if you let chaos be your teacher, then you don't really have to pay Mr. Hankey to teach your kids. I'm <laughs> just saying. Uh, and also in circular dinosaur historical thinking, we have Janet Yellen. And she sounds like she might be just a little scared of Bitcoin, says Ben Jarvie from Bitcoin Magazine. He's writing this one sometime yesterday. This week, CNBC published a headline that recently appointed U.S. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen sounds warnings about extremely inefficient Bitcoin. Ironically, two days later, CNBC published another article because the Federal Reserve systems are down. <laughs> The article amplified her criticisms of Bitcoin's value and energy consumption, of course. The kicker is that it does so without actually comparing it to anything, which is absurd. Here, here I am to address this one-sided journalism and lack of research. Quote, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen issued a warning Monday about the dangers that Bitcoin poses both to the investors and to the public. Oh my God, the public good. It then noted that Elon Musk Tesla had purchased $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin before pivoting back to Yellen, reporting that she said there remains important questions about legitimacy oh God, and stability. Quote, I don't think that Bitcoin is widely used as a transaction mechanism, Yellen told CNBC. She needs to tell that to my blue wallet is what she needs to be telling that to. To be able to report this statement, you might think CNBC would quantify Bitcoin's total throughput, usually in comparison to something else, but perhaps that's wishful thinking. Quote, I fear it's often for illicit finance, Yellen proceeded to tell CNBC. It's an extremely inefficient way of conducting transactions <clears throat> and the amount of energy that's consumed in processing those transactions is staggering. Let's break this down. Illicit finance. There is no comparison of Bitcoin to another currency in regards to how often it is used for nefarious purposes. How much illicit financing is conducted with the United States dollar or any other currency for that matter. 
How could you even begin to quantify that with the anonymity of cash? Extremely inefficient? Once again, this lacks any comparison to even be deemed so, and in reality is proven to be quite the opposite. Bitcoin is a bearer asset, not the echo of a paper IOU. It may take 10 minutes and cost a little bit of money to settle on the base layer, but that is for final settlement, people. What are the cost of sovereigns to do this? They, there are secondary layers of Bitcoin which enable global transactions instantly in any currency or money and cost a fraction of a cent, comparing this to the cost and time requirements of traditional finance and remittances. It is extremely or clearly extremely more efficient. Quote, staggering energy consumption? Again, without any comparison. This point is just wrong. I thought Nick Carter had the last word when he wrote that, quote, the Bitcoin energy warriors need not despair. However, there is a solution. All they must do is persuade Bitcoin fans to use and value an alternative settlement media. media. Their best bet will be to devise a system that is even more secure, offers stronger assurances, settles faster, is more privacy preserving, and is more censorship resistant, all without using proof of work. Such a system would be miraculous. And I'm waiting with bated breath, end quote. The article then moved on to Bitcoin's notorious volatility. Mm -hmm. Yellen stated, quote, it is a highly speculative asset. And, you know, I think people should be aware it can be extremely volatile. And I do worry about potential losses that investors can suffer. You don't worry about investors, dude. Come on, let's be clear. She is worried about the world's best performing asset over the last decade. It is a decentralized global monetary system and unit going through the monetization process with constant price identification 24-7. What did she expect? Instant smooth sailing to the moon with Sailor and Musk? After giving Yellen a platform to bag on Bitcoin with no comparisons and without any journalistic integrity whatsoever, CNBC proceeded to bring up central bank digital currencies. Quote, the Federal Reserve, where Yellen once served as chair, has studied the issue and discussed the possibility of a new digital currency along with payment system it expects to roll out over the next several years, it reported. Quote, I think it could result in faster, cheaper, and safer payments, which I think are important goals, Yellen said. Why is it about faster, cheaper, and safer payments when the printing press is killing our savings, supposedly in the name of full employment, which we don't have, by the way. I'm just a guy with laser eyes and diamond hands, so make your own opinion. But I think it's ridiculous when financial regulators in the media try to criticize Bitcoin without actually comparing it to fiat when the world's central banks are trying to gauge if they can implement draconian Chinese Communist Party-like CBDCs. It's clear that Bitcoin is better money. The International Monetary Fund's latest poll reflects this. And they got like, I think they're, they're listing two here from the IMF or at IMF News on Twitter. One poll says, or, or asks, are digital currencies really money? 78 or uh, sorry, 80% people say yes. And then this uh, other one here says, well, are CBDCs really money though? <clears throat> the entire purpose of a blockchain data structure is to enable decentralized control. Therefore, it's nonsensical when deployed by a central bank authority that continues to debase its currency. A second poll asks, are central bank digital currencies really money? And 65% of the people said no. 
Can government stop Bitcoin? Quote, if no one wants a devaluation-proof, censorship-resistant, permissionless, borderless, non-discriminatory, teleporting financial asset, then no one will feed it energy and it will die, as Alex Gladstein wrote for Quillette. <clears throat> the real question then, I say, is not can they stop it, but why in the world would they want to? Well, I know why they want to. They lose control. That's the whole point. The point of control is control, people. I keep asking myself the most naive question that you can ever ask yourself. Why don't these people just go fishing one day? Why are they so interested in controlling people and <clears throat> doing so through the control of mechanisms such as production, trade, uh, being able to, to transact in, in some good or currency or, or what have you? Well, it's because the end goal of control is control. I mean, I know that, sound, that sounds circular in, in thinking, but honestly, it's the only real answer that I got here. <clears throat> the whole point of torture is torture. It's not really to get information, people. It's not. The whole goal, goal of torture is torture. It is very rare for somebody being tortured to actually give up credible information or, or high-quality, actionable information. It's actually rare. Hell, that was actually found out in a trial of some people that were a private contractor conducting torture for black ops in Iraq. And it comes to find out they tortured all these people. They didn't get shit. Well, gee, I wonder if somebody's wrenching a tooth out of my head to torture, my entire nervous system is going to be flooded with chemistry that's going to make it impossible for anything that I say to have any credibility whatsoever because I'm all jacked up. I mean, it's like asking somebody who's on a heroin binge, you know, any question at all. The chances of you getting credible information out of that, bullshit. The point of control is control. The point of reacting against losing control is outright fear. You've got people backed into corners left and right, and they're going to start swinging. And that's the problem. <clears throat> Even the smallest and weakest of animals, when they're backed into a corner, can levy some of the most heinous damage you'll ever see in your life. I'm saying, man, we got to be careful with these people. We should continue to point and laugh. But even though they're backed into a corner, you need to be ready to swing the sledge and finish the fucking job. Because if you don't, we're going to have to continuously fight these people. And honestly, we're going to start running out of energy. So they alluded in that last story to the Fedwire's problems that it had yesterday. Shall we? Decrypt.co's Matthew DeSalvo tells us that Fed's payment system goes down and Bitcoin fans rush in. Well, of course we rushed in. Bitcoin fixes this. The Federal Reserve today reported that its internal services went down, <clears throat> leading Bitcoin supporters to take to Twitter to recite vari variations of the oft-repeated refrain, Bitcoin never goes down. Ironically, however, a number of cryptocurrency exchanges also reported trouble getting money off their platforms due to the Fed outage. <laughs> that's what happens when you're uh, connected as an on-ramp. Uh, that's actually should not be surprising whatsoever, by the way. <clears throat> According to the Fed's service status page, a number of the central bank services went down, including Fedwire and Fed ACH, or their automated clearinghouse. <clears throat> 
which allow for funds to be moved between banks and customers. Banks handle trillions of dollars in transactions every day through the Fed. The outage meant U.S. banks were unable to send or receive wires with the movement of possibly billions of dollars delayed. Despite the outage, it isn't clear how big the impact on banks and customers have actually been, however. Quote, our technical teams have determined that the cause is a Federal Reserve operational error, said the Fed. We will update, uh, provide updates via service status as more information becomes available, end quote. As expected, crypto Twitter went into meltdown following the news, with many pointing out that the Bitcoin network uh, uh, was still up and running smoothly. Niraj Arjwal, I'm sorry, Niraj, I can't pronounce your name, uh, of Washington Think Tank Coin Center said that Bitcoin actually does fix this. <clears throat> And there is some truth in what crypto proponents on Twitter pointed out. The Bitcoin payments network is decentralized and secure. Bitcoin is cryptographic, irreversible, distributed, and public. And therefore, its network is very resilient against hacks or outages. Quote, I've always thought Bitcoin will end the Fed, but they actually seem to be doing just fine on that all by themselves, coder Ben Kaufman tweeted. While Nick Carter, Bitcoin bull and public or a founder of Castle Island Ventures, chimed in with, quote, Janet, this seems inefficient, cheekily referring to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who earlier this week called Bitcoin an extremely inefficient way of conducting transactions. But despite the smugness on Twitter, the crypto world was struggling. Exchanges such as Binance, the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchange, reported errors. With wire services down, those who want to move fiat currency from an exchange to their bank accounts cannot. Quote, the Federal Reserve is down and this will impact all ACH and wire-related activities on Binance U.S., the exchange, U, exchange's U.S. branch said on Twitter. Still, decentralized exchanges like Uniswap had no problems. Such protocols do not deal with wire transfers or fiat money at all, but rather allow users to swap tokens that run on the Ethereum network on a peer-to-peer -peer basis. DEXs still handle billions of dollars worth of transactions daily. All right, hold on right there, guys. And I'm not saying that it's necessary to be able to pull shit off of an exchange to go to, to fiat. I actually kind of don't like that unless it's just an emergency situation. However, Harvesting yield off of one shit token so that you can spin up another shit token so that other idiots can yield harvest off of your sushi token and then take it into yam farms and, and, and eggplant farms and all that kind of stuff. See, it's just circular. See, it's a, it's a circle jerk. It doesn't actually do anything. <clears throat> and in this particular case, I mean, this particular case, the only thing that you can do with these tokens is to find some sucker willing to trade them for their Bitcoin. And at that point, you're fine. You don't need to deal with Fedwire. If you can, if you can circularize your bullshit hard enough that you've got a lot that you think you can go find some sucker to trade in their Bitcoin for, well, then you're going to be able to do that because the Fedwire doesn't have shit to do with it. If, however, you're depending on the fiat rails, well, now you're talking about Fedwire and all the rest of the garbage. So, but just be aware that the DeFi stuff, it doesn't actually do anything. It's just a circle jerk. Bitcoiners were also quick to boast that Bitcoin's network is far more secure than the Fed's as well. Currently, thousands of miners around the world validate Bitcoin transactions via high-powered computing technologies. Quote, Fedwire has two backup facilities, one in New Jersey and one in Richmond, wrote Coin Center's director of research, Peter Van Valkenburg. Bitcoin has check, or sorry, Bitcoin has 
10,195 backup facilities in over 100 countries across the world, he added, referencing the Bitcoin miners around the world that validate transactions. No, that is wrong. It's not Bitcoin miners that validate transactions. They mine the block and they put valid transactions into that block once it is mined and then add it to the, the Bitcoin blockchain. The validators that are being referenced here are Bitcoin full nodes of which are most likely way more than 10,195. The backup facility for the Federal Reserve of Bitcoin is sitting four feet away from me on the top of my desktop tower. That's where my backup for the entire system is. And it runs on a $100 piece of machinery with another $100 thrown in for a hard drive and another $100 thrown in for the software. And it is, runs continuously like a brick. It's always there. It never moves. It's continuously validating transactions so that the miners have valid transactions to put into their freshly mined block. Please keep that straight. Final <clears throat> word here is it's unclear right now if those wanting to make wire transfers will be made to wait again today. But one thing is certain, the Bitcoin network will keep chugging along. Now on to William Suberg writing for Cointelegraph. People who bought Bitcoin in 2017 becoming the strongest hodlers, new data shows. Man, dude, that's a feat too. You buying in at, at 2017 and you're still holding? Dude, hats off, pal. Bitcoin may be worth almost three times as more than it was at the height of its 2017 bull run. But a lot of hodlers from that time refused to sell. The latest data from Bitcoin financial services firm Unchained Capital shows that 2017 buyers control an increasingly large amount of the BTC supply. According to Unchained's HODL waves chart, the ranks, <clears throat> which ranks the supply according to when coins last move, those who bought three to five years ago are sitting on their investment since the cross asset crash of March 2020. When BTC fell to lows of $3,600, the percentage of the BTC supply that last moved between February 2016 and February 2018 increased from 5.57% to 13.38%. In other words, the uptrend in price during 2019, much of 2020, and all of 2021 so far has not made 2017 bull run investors sell after surviving the multi-year bear market. By contrast, the five to seven year and seven to 10 year HODL crowd has been reducing its presence over the past year. Quote, at the beginning of January, 59% of all Bitcoin in the network were sitting for longer than one year without moving. And by the end of the month, that number dipped to 57%, a decrease of 2% or around roughly 372,320 Bitcoin Unchained wrote in an update earlier this month, quote, it appears that most of the Bitcoin transactions during January was Bitcoin sitting for less than three years as the Bitcoin resting for three to five years actually increased by 0.8%, totally unperturbed by the price volatility. These are the folks that have been hodling ever since the last price spike of 15,500 in January of 2018 or from $431 in January of 2016. 
The data counteracts an informational narrative still found online, which claims the Bitcoin breaching 20 grand for the first time since 2017 last year triggered a mass sell-off from investors desperate to exit at parity or with a modest profit. As Cointelegraph reported, subsequent gains produced limited selling beyond the whale investor crowd. While with any price dips aggressively bought right back up, Hollowaves likewise confirms that appetite for Bitcoin has not been dented by price rises beyond $30,000, $40,000, and even $50,000. A separate cohort, those who bought before 2011, is meanwhile similarly responsible for a larger amount of the supply. Since March 15, 2020, their shares have increased from 6.85% to 10.24%. A stash of 100 BTC untouched since 2010, okay, all the way back to 2010, made its first reappearance on the network this week. Unlike 2016 to 2018, however, the situation is complicated by the advent of large-scale corporate buyers, notably MicroStrategy, which this week announced its latest buy-in, taking its total Bitcoin holdings to over 90,000 BTC. So they're, they're holding strong, and that's good news for the rest of us too, by the way. And not because price appreciation. It's because we're adding people to our ranks that understand what the hell's going on, or at least that that's what it seems. If they, is my opinion that if they didn't really understand what this technology is, how this technology works, even on the most scant level, and where we are in the world's history, and what money is, those people are actually increasing in number, or at least they're, they're already out there and they're starting to flow in. So as money flows into Bitcoin, so do the people that think in a likewise fashion. The network will bind us and it will flow through us and it will help keep the universe together, okay? Just very much like the force. And by the way, Cointelegraph, I don't know who your artist is, <clears throat> but they kind of, they kind of did a pretty good job on this one, although I'm sure some feminists out there are going to scream at it. They got Luke Skywalker holding uh, uh, Princess Leia, except Princess Leia's head is the Bitcoin symbol, with, but still has the Cinnabons on the side of her head. It's actually really well done. Although, like I said, I'm sure people are going to get pissed off about it. But you can't get more pissed off than this guy. Craig Wright demands Bitcoin developers give him access to stolen Mt. Gox coins. Oh my God. Colin Harper tells us about it from Coindesk.com. Craig Wright's legal pursuits have leapfrogged from threatening to sue Bitcoin contributors over their hosting the Bitcoin white paper to a legal threat that sets his sights on Bitcoin connected to the Mt. Gox hack. The Bitcoin SV progenitor and self-proclaimed Bitcoin creator sent a letter before action to Bitcoin core contributors this week through his law firm, Antia LLP. In the letter, writes Tulip Trading Limited, or TTL, demands access to two wallets that contain 31,000 and 79,957 BTC, respectively. Okay. The wallets curiously are connected to the hack that drained 80,000 or 800,000 BTC from the world's then most popular Bitcoin exchange in 2014. Wright claims the Bitcoin and the wallets were stolen from him last year. Even though Bitcoin core contributors have no control over the network's wallets, Wright wants, Wright wants Bitcoin's developers to hand him the keys. <laughs> 
I don't think he understands how this works, but whatever. Quote, in accordance with their fiduciary duties, the letter reads, each of the developers is obliged to provide access and control to TTL of the BTC and the addresses which it owns but cannot access or control due to to the hack or theft. Take all reasonable steps to ensure that TTL has access to and control of the BTC in the addresses. Honestly, it doesn't work that way, Craig. And if you invented Bitcoin, you would know that, but whatever. The letter alleges that on or around the 5th of February, 2020, unknown hackers stole the private keys from the addresses and deleted copies of the keys on Dr. Craig Wright's computer, preventing him from accessing the digital assets at those addresses, which he operated on behalf of TTL. Craig Wright has made repeated headlines in his unsubstantiated claim that he is Bitcoin's creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, and he has even sued those who have challenged this claim. Most recently, he threatened to sue for copyright infringement Bitcoin core contributors who hosted Bitcoin's white paper. Antia LLP says the letter could materialize into legal action if the recipients do not comply. Well, they can't. It's impossible. However, the request in the letter for Bitcoin developers to seize funds and Bitcoin addresses they don't own is literally impossible. To seize these funds would require the multi-million, if not billion-dollar endeavor of reorganizing Bitcoin's blockchain history with a 51% attack. The developers could also fork the blockchain to seize the funds, but the blockchain would not be Bitcoin. It would be just another fork. For myriad reasons, Stephen Pally, a partner at Anderson Kill Law Firm, told Coindesk a lawsuit like this is doomed to failure. Quote, while I can't speak to English law, the notion that a bunch of open source developers will be compelled to fork public blockchains and require miners and nodes to adopt the fork so that Wright can receive funds that he claims were stolen is, in my opinion, not credible. It will do nothing more than force people to pay legal fees, all of which are likely going to be owed by Wright, end quote. Pally, whose firm is not involved in the lawsuit, said the claim that open source developers owe Wright fiduciary obligations and damages for losses in absence of a contract is novel and faces considerable legal and factual problems. Quote, I can tell you with near certainty that any judgment in that case would not be enforceable in the United States, and I doubt it will ever get very far in English courts either. I'm hopeful that the Bitcoin community will come together as it has in the past and provide support to any developer who has received these letters. We've already heard from some people who are outraged by this maneuver and expect to hear from many more. Pally concluded, concluded in that. Remember, that's Stephen Pally. And I think that that I think Stephen Pally comes up here in a second. Let me let me look. Why yes, Stephen Pally does come up next because uh, our good friend Danny Brewster at BTC Danny on Twitter. If you're not following him, you need to. Um, well, he seems to uh, <clears throat> he seems to be a little a little vexed. He's a bit vexed by all this, and uh, apparently he's hired Anderson Kill PC, which is. Uh, Stephen Pally's law firm, along with uh, Preston Byrne, if you know who Preston Byrne is, that, that uh, they've they've written this letter on behalf of their client Danny Brewster, who he did post uh, publicly to Twitter. So I don't feel bad about reading this. Otherwise, he would have just uh, he wouldn't have pub- posted it publicly. He would have just given it to me through a DM, and that, that would have been the end of it. Now this is interesting. Remember that the whole thing with with. Uh, Craig Wright right now is that he wants to be able to recover these old coins, the Mount Gox coins, in fact. Check this shit out. From, and here it's Anderson Kill PC, 
letterhead. Okay, it's full letterhead. And in that letterhead, Preston Byrne and Stephen D. Pally are both listed. This is to, it's written to Auntie LLP at Halton House 2023, Holborn, London. Uh, and then it gives its postal code and all that shit. Dear counsel, this law firm represents Mr. Danny Brewster. Our client is a victim of the 2011-2013 hack of the Mt. Gox Bitcoin exchange. According to independent security auditor WizSec, Mt. Gox's hot wallet was completely drained to the Bitcoin wallet at the following address. And they list the one fee X address. Okay, one fee X is the number one, capital F, little e, little e, little x. And then it goes on with a whole bunch of other numbers, but we just call it the one fee X address, okay? In a single transaction on March the 3rd, 2011, this information has since been publicly confirmed in writing by Mark Carpellis, Mt. Gox's uh, chief executive officer, in a letter you sent on behalf of your client, Tulip Trading Limited, in June 2020, the June 2020 letter, you state that your client, Tulip, owns the unspent Bitcoin in the one fee X address. Your letter further states that the one fee X address contains 80,000 BTC with a sterling equivalent value of approximately 609 million Great British Pound. You assert that those funds were stolen from Craig Wright on or around the 5th of February 2020. Access to and control over those addresses was stolen during the hack on Dr. Wright's computer network. The private keys on those addresses were stored in an encrypted file on that network, as was part of the information required to open that file. Both the encrypted file and the related information were stolen during the hack and deleted from the network. We note that despite the keys having been stolen, the coins have not moved. This is where it gets good. We understand that a letter dated the 24th of February, 2021, the February, 2021 letter, you sent a further email to developers of Bitcoin, as well as developers of Bitcoin forks, including Bcash, Bitcoin ABC, and Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. In the February 2021 letter, your law firm reiterated the facts first stated in the June 2020 letter. You wrote that Tulip Trust Limited has undisputed ownership of the unsplit digital assets in the one fee X address. You state that on or around 5th of February 2020, unknown hackers stole the private keys in the addresses and deleted copies of the keys on Dr. Craig Wright's computer, preventing him from accessing the digital assets at those addresses which he operated on behalf of Tulip Trading Limited. Accordingly, uh, Tulip Trading Limited is, uh, well, <clears throat> hold on for a second. Sorry, got distracted here. Uh, accordingly, Tulip Trading Limited is absent steps being taken by the developers, unable to access or control digital assets that are TTL's legal property. You and your clients, Tulip Trading Limited and Craig Stephen Wright and their agents are hereby placed on notice that our client and many others similarly situated have an equitable interest in the Bitcoins held at the one fee X address in an amount not less than and likely exceeding 17.5 uh, $17 million in United States dollars. Your client owes our client and likely others a legal and equitable duty to hold any funds received by your client on either the BTC main chain or any fork of the Bitcoin chain, including BCH, BCH, ABC, and BSV on constructive trust for our client and others similarly situated. 
our client's rights, including but not limited to the right to seek an asset preservation order uh, and to bring suit against your client for conversion, as well as any and all other legal and equitable claims are fully and expressly reserved, whether in the United Kingdom, the United States, or in any other applicable jurisdiction. Additionally, this will serve as a formal notice to your client and its or their agents of its duty to preserve all evidence relating to this dispute, including but not limited to emails, social media posts, electronic chat communications, and other electronically stored information Failure to comply with this obligation will result in severe sanctions associated with and arising out of spoilation of evidence. We trust that you have and will advise your client accordingly. The above notwithstanding, if your client is not in fact the owner of the Bitcoin in the one fee X address, our client has rather has rather less to quarrel about with you and may be willing to adopt a more conciliatory attitude in the matter. If your client does not own the Bitcoin in the one fee address or one fee X address um, and can confirm it has never had control over the address, please advise of same so that we may avoid unnecessary litigation. We look forward to your reply by close of business Monday, March the 1st, 2021. Yours sincerely, Preston J. Byrne and Stephen Pally. So Stephen Pally has gotten into the mix along with Preston J. Byrne. Now this is a letter of a letter of potential action. All right, it's not a formal lawsuit at this point. What they're doing is they're advising the idiots over at Antier and their idiot client, which is probably their only client, by the way, uh, that if they continue to be little bitches like they are, that they're going to wreck their entire world. Because what they did is they figured out that the one fee X address has been, that has been described by the Antia team on several occasions to the point that they will never be able to backtrack what they say about the one fee X address is that they've now put themselves into a liability of all the people that lost money from Mt. Gox into the one fee X address. They're making Craig liable for they're basically turning Craig into a custodian of all the stolen Mt. Gox money that went into that particular address. So anybody who can prove that they had money that went from Mt. Gox into the one fee X address can be part of what could potentially end up being a class action lawsuit of hundreds of people and drain the living shit out of the one fee X address. So if they, it's going to be interesting to see what they reply on Monday, on Monday, March the 1st, because at this point they're obligated to do so. If they don't, it would not surprise me if Stephen Pally and Preston J. Byrne went ahead and burned some cash and filed just a regular old fashioned lawsuit on behalf of Danny Brewster and what will probably end up being several hundred different people because we can track all where, where all those uh, Bitcoin came from. Okay. This is going to be a shit show. And I'm really happy that Stephen Pally and Preston Byrne have decided that they've had enough. Everybody has had enough. And Danny Brewster is more brave than you can imagine because the minute that he put his name as the, the uh, person of interest in this particular lawsuit, Danny Brewster has now opened himself up to attack by Antier and you see what they do to Space Cat. 
okay, and Peter, uh, Peter McCormick and all the rest of the people that they've sued over the last two or three years. You've seen what they do. So, Danny, thank you for your service, dude. I don't know what, what else to say about it. I mean, I'm not in a position where I can even try to enter into this because I had nothing to do with Mount Gox. But, man, dude, my hat's off to you, Preston Byrne, and Stephen Pally. Thank you for your service. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities has oil gaining again. Actually, even natural gas is on the upside. 0.47% to the upside for West Texas Intermediate is going to bring it in at $63.52. Brent North Sea is also up a half similarly. It's coming in at $67.35. Natural gas is swinging up. 1.36% is coming in at $2.8 for a thousand cubic feet of that. Gold is down and it's the only shiny metal rock that is down and it's down to the tune of half a percent. It's chilling out at $1,788. Silver's up a half, platinum's up 0.8, copper's up a full point, palladium is up a third of a point. Uh, indices are well mixed. Uh, Dow futures is up scant 0 0.06 to the upside. S&P futures are down 0.2. NASDAQ is at down 0.78. And the S&P mid mini is basically sideways at 0.03% to the upside. <clears throat> Sorry, to the downside. <clears throat> Real money. Bitcoin is at $50,000, bucks or $50,566. I'm sorry. And it's early. Give me a break, man. Give me a break. That seems to be our high, and our low is going to be over at HitBTC, $50,205. 328,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us 13,677 transactions on average every hour. With 656,000 BTC changing hands in that period, we have 27,355 BTC being sent on average every hour, with the average transaction value being 2 BTC and the, med the median transaction value 0.02 BTC or right around $1,000. Block times are pretty low, nine minutes and seven seconds. So almost a full 10% uh, lower. Uh, let's see. We have one BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. 900, 900, sorry, 162 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. And holy shit. A hash rate increase of 25% in 25 hours takes us all the way up to 174.6 exahashes, which as far as I know is either a uh, all-time high or tying for a previous all-time high. Uh, what's Doge doing? Five, five and a half cents, guys. Five and a half cents for meme coin. Just, just saying. There's no end of stupid in the world. Uh, we have, let's see, $940 billion of market capitalization. So we're not back up to a trillion yet. Uh, we do have, we have captured 8% of coin, uh, gold's market cap. So one Bitcoin will buy you 28.0 ounces of that. There are 18,638,230 BTC in circulation. We do have 74,000 transactions that are going to have to get on board 82 blocks to clear we have 1,000, 
88.42 BTC in the Tor, or not Tor, in the Lightning Network. And that uh, has a capacity of about $55 million being run over 9,103 nodes. Uh, total channels are 38,294 channels. The percent of Tor capacities ticked down. We are down to 53.1% of the Lightning Network being run over Tor. That is 3,557 nodes and contains 578.42 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. That's going to do it for Vitals. Round two of the morning roundup starts with GME or GameStop stock. Uh, the price soars 110% days after Keith Roaring Kitty reveals a $5.5 million position. The price for, or I'm sorry, this is George Georgiev writing for Crypto Potato and says GameStop has undoubtedly become the most widely discussed company in 2021 following the Wall Street bets fiasco that capitulated its price to all-time highs far beyond the wildest mag- imaginations. The action on the stock has since cooled down a bit as WSB lost some steam, but in the past few days, it's on again as the price has surged over 110%. The price for GameStop shares has skyrocketed weeks after the tumultuous fa- fiasco with Wall Street bets. Upon yesterday's market close, the price had reached $91 a pop, totaling an increase of more than 110% over the past 10 or wait, wait, past three days. It's worth noting, though, that this is still far away from the all-time high that was reached back in January of $482, only to tumble down to $132 on the following day, leaving many investors in dismay. What happened with GME caught the attention of the worldwide media as well as U.S. lawmakers. One of the names that were highly involved in the entire ordeal was that of Keith Gill, perhaps better known for his online pseudonym, Roaring Kitty, which is actually his other one. Um, His real one is Deep Fucking Value, so let's just use that one. Gill even testified in front of Congress where he dropped the absolute bomb of his statement saying that he's not actually a cat. I was wondering where that came from. Furthermore, he refused to give merit to the notion that his actions influenced the markets. Quote, the idea that I use social media to promote GameStop stock to unwitting investors and influence the market is preposterous. My post did not cause the movement of billions of dollars into GameStop shares, end quote. It's worth noting that the entire ordeal caught so much fire that the CEO of NASDAQ said that they might halt trading in case of increased social media chatter. In any case, Fox Business reported on February the 22nd that Gill had doubled his stake in the video game game retailer. Roaring Kitty now owns about 100,000 shares of GameStop worth over $4 million while having 500 call options with a face value of about $1.5 million. Oh my God, dude. Okay, so the GameStop saga is not over. Is it just a dead cat bounce though? Well, we're going to have to wait and see. And today might be a a good time to actually take, you know, if you stopped looking at GameStop because the whole thing kind of died down, today may be a good idea to pull up TradingView and put in GME and see what the hell is going on there. We know what's going on in Bank of Korea though, because he says that cryptocurrencies have no intrinsic value. Oh, shocking. I'm shocked. I'm so shocked that they would say something about no intrinsic value. 
the narratives, people, the narratives. Zelayako Zelayakov is writing this one for CryptoPotato.com. And I'm sorry, Zal, I completely butchered your name, but hey, what are you going to do? The head of the Bank of Korea, Lee Ju Yol, said that Bitcoin and other major cryptocurrencies lack intrinsic value. However, he believes that all assets will continue to experience significant price fluctuations. The chief of the Bank of Korea said cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, do not possess inherent value. In a recent report, uh, Lee Jewell blasted the highly volatile nature of the digital asset industry. Quote, there's no intrinsic value in crypto assets. Hmm. Okay. Well, gee, you keep repeating that word. I don't think you actually know what it means, but we'll continue. The news report quoted lawmakers asking BOK's chief if the recent surge in the Bitcoin price is temporary or not. Quote, it's very difficult to predict the price, but its price will be extremely volatile. Oh my God. Uh, it's like reading a book report from a four-year-old, dude. It's sad. The bank executive has also said that the recent rally in Bitcoin's price followed by other significant digital assets may be led by multiple factors. Among them, Elon Musk Tesla and his $1.5 billion buy. He highlighted, highlighted that the light, latest price surge might be a continuation of institutional investors using Bitcoin as a hedge. Ju Yal also emphasized that BOK shouldn't buy bonds issued by the country's government directly. Okay, switching gears, I guess. Otherwise, this would raise worries about fiscal stability and undermine the central bank's trust. Well, duh. <laughs> I mean, the Fed does it. Why not you? The primary cryptocurrency's volatility has been quite uh, causing quite some troubles for both retail and institutional investors. This particular character of the digital asset has been a stumbling point for many, thus causing some hesitations as to whether to allocate funds in it or not. Uh, okay, so it just goes on in, along that, that line. But here we have <clears throat> the chief of the Bank of Korea, their central bank, parroting the exact same shit that every other central banker or somebody who has a vested interest in keeping control of their power uh, has said in the past. It's just ridiculous. Right? So the inherent, what's the inherent value then? Or what's the intrinsic value? Oh, I don't know. All the power that it's sucking up. I mean, I'm just saying, even Ford, Ford and Buckminster Fuller wanted to have a currency based on energy, and now we have one. So kindly, STFU. A 177-year-old Swiss bank adds Bitcoin and Ethereum trading. Liam Frost tells us more from Decrypt.co. Uh, Baudier and CIE, SCMA, however, whatever, a Swiss bank that was founded in 1844. 1844 people has added cryptocurrency trading to its list of services, according to a press release. Well, we've seen increased demand from our clients to diversify into alternative asset classes, such as digital assets, said Baudier's managing partner, Evrard Baudier. The new services <clears throat> allow Baudier's uh, clients to buy, hold, and trade cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin. The firm plans to expand the number of coins it offers in the future. Yeah, it's got a couple. It's listed a couple here, but I'm just going to read Bitcoin. Uh, banking platform Synergem Bank is providing the infrastructure management that will custody the private keys that control access to the coins, connect with liquidity providers, and monitor transactions. It will also ensure the bank has any money laundering procedures for its crypto holdings. Bordier continues its 177-year tradition of safeguarding clients' wealth for future generations by offering the next generation of assets to its clients, added Syngum's Group's CEO, Matthias Imbach. 
At the time, Boitier stressed that the services is an execution-only type of deal, which means that the bank won't offer any additional services or consulting services in regard to cryptocurrencies. As Decrypt reported, business intelligence firm MicroStrategy at, yeah, we know, $1.5 billion, or another $1 billion. I know, we get it. We don't have to rehash that ever at the end of every single freaking article. What's important here is you're talking about a 177-year-old bank. And I, nobody's heard of Bordier. So why do I even bring it up? Because it's 177 years old. It will be the case that you, you will come to understand uh, if you're not in school uh, and learning about uh, ongoing evolution of the planet Earth, either in, either you're learning about it now in like a biology or ecology class, or you will, or you just don't give a shit, you're going to figure it out right now. The, the meteor that took out all the dinosaurs did not take out all of the dinosaurs. There were, in fact, very, very small dinosaurs that were able to live off of fungus and all kind that, that's how life survived by the way was the fact that fungus was here and it was growing on all the dead shit and for decades was able to supply a meaningful nutritious diet to those that were small enough to not get wiped out by the fireball and the ignition of you know the atmosphere and all the the calamity that went on along with all this shit that's how they survived and along with very small mammals like you know voles and mice and of course they weren't mice back then but they were going to be mice and primates and sloths and all manner of stuff, including human beings. <clears throat> they were still, they were munching down on, uh, on uh, fungus. Okay. But there was also very small dinosaurs. And what did they become? They became the birds in the sky that you see today. There will be banks that figure out that they don't want to die. The chances are good that they're going to be the smaller banks. They're going to be the ones that don't have as many attachments to the old legacy, the old guard, the, the old school way of doing shit. They're much more maneuverable. The smaller and more maneuverable you are increases your chance of survival in adverse conditions. This is true for ecology. It's true for evolution. It's true for biology. It's true for warfare. It's true for business. It's true for investing. It's true for anything. Mobility, light footprint, your ease of movement, light load, dude, you're set up. But these guys are 177 years in, and they can still look to a brave new world. Silvergate, however, is a brand new bank. Uh, Bitcoin bank Silvergate shares have surged 1,300% in a little over a year. The shares of digital asset bank Silvergate Capital has risen over 120% since January and 1,300% since going public in November. So we go from the very old bank to the very brand new bank. This is actually still wearing diapers, by the way. As CNN reported on Monday, unlike most U.S. banks, Silvergate Capital has been primarily focused on providing cryptocurrency-specific services, which seems to have paid off, although Silvergate shares have dropped from over $170 to $130 at press time during the last couple of days, coinciding with the recent Bitcoin price correction. It still boasts among 1,000% growth since late 2019. Silvergate Services offers offering spans the payments uh, processing over cryptocurrency deposit accounts to Bitcoin-backed loans to companies operating in the space. The bank's CEO, Alan Lane, explained that a major difference between his institution and traditional Traditional banks is its nonstop operation. Quote, 
We started with crypto deposits, uh, deposit accounts for customers and quickly learned that customers need more help above traditional 40-hour-a-week banking. We needed to build a bank for a 24-7 digital world, end quote. Per the report, the bank holds about $5 billion, that's with a B, of deposits backed by Bitcoin and other digital assets. Silvergate's most appreciated service called Silvergate Exchange Network allows its customers to instantly transfer fiat currencies between cryptocurrency exchanges, which is presumed particularly important when looking for the best prices. According to Lane, this service constitutes a significant improvement over traditional finance. Quote, there's a lot of friction in banking. Yeah, you bet there is. Wire transfers can be time-consuming if caught, if they can be freaking performed at all, given yesterday's Fed wire going down. Continuing, the beauty of SEN is that once a deposit account is open, you can transact with others in it seamlessly, uh, seamless, uh, sorry, you can transact with others in seamless method and transfers are instant. End quote. Silvergate Capital primarily serves institutional investors or crypto assets companies, including Coinbase and Square. But I'll bet you they offer it up to retail come soon. I would. I mean, I would I would definitely be opening up to retail if I could. Uh, Stop the Steel organizer hosting clubhouse sessions about Bitcoin. Okay, narrative. This is from Decrypt by Jeff Benson. And I kind of don't appreciate this shit. However, it's newsworthy, not because it's this guy from Stop the Steal. It's because it's a story equating Bitcoin with, quote unquote, the far right insurrection narrative. Okay, Jeff, I'm talking to you. Stop being the sock puppet of the institutions. Stop kowtowing to their demands that you make Bitcoin look bad by attaching it to people that have been made to look bad over this past two months. And the few months before that, but really it was after the whole January 6th insurrection of the United States Capitol that this shit really, I didn't even hear about what Stop the Steal was until January the 6th. I didn't even even know, but that's because I don't watch mainstream media. All right, but... Jeff, what you're doing here is you're trying to attach Bitcoin with, quote unquote, alt-right, proud boy, stop the steal, capital storming, insurrectionist bullshit. And it's not right. They also use the U.S. dollar, Jeff. I guarantee you that every single one of these assholes that are in this picture from Decrypt has a wallet and they got a dollar in it. And if they don't have a dollar, they got a credit card that uses the fiat rail system of the United States government, the Fedwire and the federal ACH and all that shit. And you might as well be using the dollar. Let's see what the narrative looks like according to Jeff Benson. Ali Alexander, organizer of the Stop the Steal movement, that maintain that Donald Trump actually won the 2020 presidential election has implied he's effectively in hiding since the January 6th United States Capitol attack. Well, at least you didn't use the word insurrection, which he allegedly helped incite, but he's still got time to appear on audio-only social media app Clubhouse to talk about Bitcoin. Political activist who has been banned from sites such as Twitter and Facebook this year hosted a Clubhouse room on Wednesday titled How Bitcoin Changed My Mind and Me. Parentheses us. 
In the room, he talked about everything from asteroid mining and elite search for infinite gold to Janet Yellen, whom he referred to as a stupid bitch for her comments on Bitcoin's use in illicit transactions. Alexander certainly has reason to embrace Bitcoin. As an activist, he relies on cash donations to help organize members of the alt-right. There you go. There's part of the narrative. But PayPal and Venmo have cut off access, citing policies against their services being used, quote, to promote hate, violence, and other forms of intolerance. Thank you for adding to the narrative there, Jeff. Alexander Patreon's account has also been suspended. For a time, he was making money through Give, Send, Go, a Christian crowdfunding site. He raised 30 grand before Give, Send, Go deactivated his page because its payment processor wouldn't help fund Alexander. Bitcoin, however, operates differently. Cutting off access to the decentralized network is more complicated. Alexander told Clubhouse listeners that he received passive income from Bitcoin. People still send me small amounts of donation, he said. It's unclear whether Alexander was one of the recipients of the December 8th donation of 28.15 BTC, which was then worth 522 grand to 22 addresses associated with, quote, far-right act activist and internet personalities such as Nick Fuentes and neo-Nazi publication, The Daily Stormer. Thank you, Jeff, for adding that to the Bitcoin narrative, because that's what you're doing. You are not helping. You are not helping one bit. And honestly, we're not going to continue because we've, we've got everything that we need out of this, out of this article. You're, all you're doing is adding to the bad side of the narrative. And without comparison to these same, very same people using fiat currency in the form of the United States dollar, your entire, this entire thing was a waste of your time to write. However, it wasn't a waste of my time to bring to light that we still have enemies of Bitcoin in the form of people like Jeff Benson who are writing absolute drivel with no real predilection to research comparison that type of thing, you know, the things that, that journalists used to do. So up your ass, Jeff, learn how to write without making Bitcoin look bad and, and taking the easy way, way out to do that by saying neo-Nazi, alt-right, capital insurrection. It's, it's boring. It's weak. It's lazy, Jeff. It's just lazy. With that, we're going to end up, wrap up the morning roundup. Uh, daily or uh, terrible joke corner is brought to you by Dad says jokes. Who drops this little gem? I made a pencil with two erasers today. It was pointless. Yeah, that's the whole narratives being spun up around Bitcoin are, are almost almost all pointless, and they all serve only they all serve only one purpose. They're not pointless, I guess. They do serve a purpose, and that's the purpose of, of maintaining control. Always remember, the point of control is control, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.